Hello, and welcome to the podcast with Suzanne and Amy, brought to you by Homeschool Life Magazine. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Amy. And this is Episode 7 for Monday, September 26, 2016. So hello. Hello. It's our slightly belated episode seven. That's right. We're running a little bit late. We may sound a little bit frazzled. Um, you know, life has been happening, I think, <laughs> in both our homeschools. <laughs> yeah. And everything's fine. But, you know, sometimes sometimes you feel like um, maybe you're catching up a little bit. <laughs> sometimes you can think in a straight line and sometimes you think in knots. And I think we've been in the knot phase for a little while. Oh, that's right. So if this is an especially curvy, twisty, turny podcast, well, then, you know, <laughs> we can all to enjoy our world. <laughs> we can all enjoy it together. Just hold on for the ride. <laughs> um, so speaking of homeschooling, as we often do on this podcast, we got a really great uh, reader question into the Homeschool Life magazine about uh, giving grades in in a homeschool world. How do we assign grades as homeschoolers when our parameters are so different from what they do in traditional school? Um, so is that is that kind of the basic question, Amy? Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting question. This mom wrote in and she was saying her daughter took two years to finish algebra because when there was something that she didn't understand, they stopped and they kind of worked on it until she got it. And then they went on to the next thing, which is, I mean, I guess kind of what a lot of us do as homeschoolers. Right. So it took her two years to get through algebra. If she'd been in school, she wouldn't have had that option to slow down when she didn't get something. She would have taken the test and moved on to the next thing, and her grade would have depended on how she did on these accumulated tests. So the mom was, was asking what, what I think is a great question. How do, you, how do you grade under those circumstances? Like, what grade should her daughter get? She, in her homeschool class, she got an A. In the high school class at the school down the street, she probably would have gotten a C. So what should her grade be? Right. And I think that's a really, I, I do, I think that's a really good question. Um, and, and it's one that I completely avoided for as long as possible. Um, you know, in Georgia, there's no requirement that we keep those kinds of like graded records. And I don't know. I don't know if there's, that's a requirement in other, in other states. Um, I think some states do require you to do an annual transcript. Some states, you even have to get your child evaluated by some outside person who gives them grades. Yeah, right. Um, so, so in, but, but here, I was kind of able to avoid that question as long as possible, um, which I did uh, for eight years or so. And then my uh, oldest son was going to transfer from homeschool into the, the, you know, being a high school freshman. And one of the requirements, the paperwork for all that was a transcript. So I panicked. Um, <laughs> and that is, that is not an exaggeration. Step one, panic. Step one, panic. Uh, I mean, I have issues with anxiety already. And I think I probably did have a literal panic attack, you know, sitting at the laptop, tears running down my face, trying to figure out what to do. Because I mean, it's, that's right, right? I mean, what, how we do homeschool is just, it's a different approach. And I just felt like I'd be pulling these numbers out from the air. And uh, I didn't feel good about that. 
So I went, um, I went online. I, I stole this from somewhere else. I wish I could remember how, exactly where I stole it from some other brilliant homeschooler as I'm sitting surfing the web while with tears running down my face. <laughs> so our transcript looks something like this. Um, I put a note in it to say that uh, we don't use traditional number or letter grades when evaluating coursework instead, um, because we worked until mastery, right? That's the key difference is instead of having a year, a school year or whatever time to get through the subject, you work on the subject until mastery, just like the, the reader was talking about with algebra. And um, so I did like, I, I didn't do number or letter grades because it wasn't a requirement, really. Uh, I just had like excellent, good, satisfactory needs work. And um, I felt like, you know, an ex and defined it, you know, excellent student shows an excellent grasp of material, you know, good, you're doing good, but there's, there is some possibly some room for improvement, that kind of thing. And I felt better about that because I felt like um, I wasn't just pulling a 96 out of somewhere. Right. Um, but I think that's really, that's really key is to realize that it's a different approach. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that on your, on your, on your transcript, on your grade, whatever, whatever thing you're writing up to acknowledge that we do it differently. Now, as it happens, uh, when I went in with my paperwork to do the transfer, they didn't care about it because <laughs> what I also had in my hand was a stack of standardized test scores. Um, and Which like they, they care about a lot. Yes, they care about that a lot. And so that's kind of my recommendation. And again, that only works if you have the flexibility that for your state or for whatever the situation is to handle it that way. Um, so I wrote up the transcript with my kind of my excellence and goods and whatever. And, and I also put in that transcript the texts that we were using and how far they'd made it through the text. And then, but we had also gotten in the habit of doing uh, standardized testing once a year. Uh, it's only required every three years in Georgia. And it's still on the honor system. So you aren't required to report it or even to report the number or even to report that you've done it. Right. Um, you don't so, even have to open the envelope, I guess, technically. You just have to save it for three years. Right, right. But, and, then, and there's no system to check up on you, right? So it's, it really is entirely on the honor system. Um, but I, early on, I, I thought it would be a good idea. You know, I wanted to kind of see how we were doing. And um, my daughter was experiencing some test anxiety just because it was different um, from anything else that we've done. So <clears throat> because of that, I said, well, we'll just do it once a year. And then it'll just become something that everybody's really comfortable with. And that worked out. That was an accident, but it worked out really well for us because it meant for like things like Duke Tip, we had the standardized test scores when the kids got interested in that. It meant that... Um, when we went to high school, I had the test scores and they were so grateful. They were like, oh, we understand these. Right. Because I totally understand that they're going to be leery of, of, you know, a non-professional, just a mom walking in there. And number one, she's grading her own child. So she's going to be biased. And number two, I, you know, I am not a professional, educated, certified teacher type person. Right. And two, I think oftentimes the way that homeschoolers choose to teach and the subjects that they choose to teach don't mesh up with what educators are used to seeing. I mean, right. I know we use the four-year history cycle 
which right. is just completely weird in a world where most people are doing social studies. It's not that one is better than the other. They're just completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I, so I think if you're going to be in a situation where you're thinking about transferring schools, and then of course, if you're thinking about college later on, um, I highly recommend, uh, I, I know standardized testing isn't fun. I know it isn't, um, I am leery of it in terms of, of, of how much emphasis you can place on it, but it really does help when you have something that they understand and it makes communication a lot easier. And, um, but if, if I did, was in a position now, having thought about this and kind of gone through the, all the panic attacks and gone through the system, now if I was in a situation where I did want to provide a more detailed transcript with letter grades or number grades, if, for example, I decided, you know, one of my kids ended up homeschooling through high school, um, then I think what I would do is I would not worry about the letter or number grade until the end of the, you know, until you've reached whatever mastery point you want to reach, right? Until you reach the end of the text, you reach the end of the subject, you reach whatever natural kind of point it seems to take a break and then test, um, test the mastery of the subject, however you decide to do that. Right. And I think what that does is that gives you, I mean, this is how we do it, right? We work till mastery. And if you're going to do a letter or a number grade, you know, it's important to me that you, you want to base that on something. You don't want to just be able, you just want to pull a number out of the air. So give a test, you know, give some kind of uh, worksheet, give something that, you know, or, and maybe several somethings that you can, um, to show, you know, to, pr to present as backup for that material. But I think it's 100% legitimate to wait, you know, if it takes two years to do algebra, and then you do testing at the end, and the student has mastered algebra, I think it's 100% legitimate for that child to receive an A in algebra. Because you're, you're talking about how they've mastered that subject, and it's where they are in math, right? You're not, you know, that, that is the other part, right? It's not like, you know, if that's ahead or behind or whatever with what's going on in the traditional school, you're just showing this is what we've mastered and this is the level that she's mastered at. And I think, too, that your transcripts kind of, your, your full transcript would reflect that in a meaningful way. You know, if it took you two years to finish Algebra 1, Mm -hmm. No problem, but you probably wouldn't get to calculus. Like you probably wouldn't have calculus on your transcript, right? And that is, and that is kind of the consequence, right? That's the consequence of of waiting until the end of the subject and then uh, testing the mastery level. And I think that's fine. I think that's legitimate. That reflects what you are actually doing in the homeschool, right? And and then you know. And, and, and like you say, that will be reflected on the transcript. This is where you are now. And you can deal with that. And then wherever you are and whatever you need to do with that information, you can deal with that situation. Um, but I do. I, what do you think? Does that, I mean, does that seem like a legitimate approach to you? Well, yes. This is my, you know, my daughter is in high school this year. So this is my first year actually thinking about, about grades because, I mean, as you say, as homeschoolers, we don't have to grade. So why on right. earth would we? <laughs> right. Like, why would we do that? Um, so this is my first year doing grades, but I've totally stolen. I, I teach a couple of outside classes here and there, and I've totally stolen this idea from my friend Shelly, who went to New College, 
uh-huh. where every year, new college operates on the contract system. So every year students say, this is what I want to learn. And then their evaluations are all about how well did they achieve what they wanted to learn? How well mm. did they reach their learning goal? So I, I have tried to employ this in my own classes, not with my daughter yet, but I'm thinking that this is probably a good approach for that is to say, well, what do you want to get out of this class? Like, do you want to be able to get a five on the AP US history right. test? Right. Or do you just want to learn enough AP US history to tick it off on your sheet? Um, and then, you know, to let her set her own expectations for how she'll do in the class. And then my job would just be to say, oh, look, it looks like, you know, you got really close to doing exactly what you wanted to do. Or, you know, as the year progresses to say, hey, you know, I noticed that your goals for U.S. history and your effort in U.S. history are not really matching up. Should we like talk about that? Right, right. But I, I like the idea that um, that your evaluation, that your grade would depend on the student picking what she wanted to get out of the class. I mean, I kind of I kind of I kind of like that idea that because it is like self-directed, independent learning, but with the collaboration of someone who's kind of helping you to be accountable for that. Right. And I think that's a really good approach. I mean, that that reflects, in, like you say, that other aspect of homeschooling, that really it's supposed to be driven um, by what the student wants to get out of it and, and where the student is and all that kind of all that kind of good stuff. Yes. And I do think that if you know that you're going to send your child to a more traditional school, maybe grades are something that you want to think about a little before just so that they know what they're getting into maybe don't be panicking like <laughs> a couple weeks no, before that's you step have to one. Write don't panic the write the transcript <laughs> yeah so just you know well in general I, th I don't think homeschoolers should be grading at all unless they have to i right. really don't i just think that grades are a way of showing a way of communicating um from the school to the parent, primarily the parents in the early grades of how the student is doing. And if you are the one teaching your student, then you don't need that. And I don't think you need that kind of stress in your life. Right. Um, speaking as someone whose grades were a huge part of her identity for, I don't know, probably all my life up until including now. Um, I still wish that people would send me grades every year just so that I could like check in with how I'm doing, like a mom grade and a right. work it grade. It better be straight A's is all I'm saying. Right. Or there will be trouble. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm glad maybe not to pass that on to my kids, at least at the same level that I have it. Um, so, but there are situations where you're needing to transfer to a school, whether that be, um, whether that be a tradition, you know, high school or whatever, or whether that be college ultimately, or if your state requires it, obviously, where you need to think about grades. And I just, you know, I think it's okay. I think you want to strike a balance between being creative and reflecting what your homeschool does in terms of getting, giving information on the transcript, like what text you use. And, and like I said, using my, you know, like I said, having the little alternate kind of grading system. And also not walking into whatever that situation is where the giant, you know, three-inch portfolio that people aren't going to have time to go through and maybe don't really have, you know, they're not going to interpret it maybe the same way. So I think you need to strike that balance between what are the people looking for? Whoever, whoever is, I'm giving this to, 
what is it they're trying to get out of it? Right. No, I think that's that's really important. I think as homeschoolers, we're so proud of the things that our kids do that don't fit into the box, which right. is amazing and awesome. Right. But when someone who lives in the box is looking for something, all that out-of-the-box stuff is just going to confuse them. Like you want to speak their language. Yeah, it's about communication, right? So for us, the standardized tests was a really good way in because that was, that was a level of communication we could all agree on. Um, and I think, like I said, I, like I said before, if, I think if you're going to do um, numerical or letter grades, and I would think have the, have the scores to back that up, do whatever you need to do in your home classroom to back up those letter grades. But again, I think it's totally legitimate to wait until, until you, you and your, I mean, have a conversation with your student. Do you feel that you've mastered this? Are you ready to, for us to kind of move on to the next thing or whatever, you know, to evaluate where you are here and to move on to the next thing? Um, because that's, that's something you can do in homeschool. You can have that conversation. And then after you've done the evaluation, you can look at it together and say, okay, well, are you happy? With, I mean, if this is your score on your transcript, are you happy with that? Do you want to go back and review? You know, you don't have to. Right. That's not the end of the year, right? You don't have to put a check on that and go to a summer school or something, whatever. You can, you can discuss together like, okay, no, I feel like I've mastered it. And I feel like um, I'm ready to go on to the next thing. And I'm okay with having that be my algebra grade on the transcript. But I think that's, that's a totally legitimate. I don't think that you have to do grades in homeschool you know, the grading throughout. Um, I don't think that's necessary unless, like you were talking about, like where you're doing it as a way of checking in with what you're, you know, with how your student is progressing um, up against their own goals. Right. On the way through. Well, I think that grading for the sake of grading is, is kind of against what a lot of homeschoolers are for anyway. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. Right. So I am nervous about doing grades this year, um, but I, I, I like the idea. I, I might steal the idea of working till mastery for my daughter's transcripts because I, I have really struggled with how do you, how do you give her an A? <laughs> right. Well, and I think I think that that helped because then you have the backup, right? Then um, I, I maybe this is just me, but I always worried worried when I was going in to talk to the school about you know, they're going to see me as this homeschool mom and, and that I just give all my kids A's because I think they're right. the best because they are. And, you know, that really hasn't been a problem, at least if it is, they haven't, <laughs> they haven't done it to my face, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is fine. I'm fine with that. Continue, please. Well, and you had one graduate, so, and, and go to Georgia Tech. So I feel like you went. Well, I feel like we've got, we've established, you know, kid number three will be starting next year. So I do feel like we've kind of established a track record, like I'm bringing kids in who can do the work. Right. Um, so that's, that's good. Um, but I, uh, if I, if I was given a situation, then I would want to be able, I'm sorry, if I wanted to, remember talking about the zigzagging and the whole <laughs> trying to keep a stra thought straight in your head. Um, if I was going to give an A, if I was going to bring a transcript in that had like a 96 on it, then it would be great if somebody asked me a question about that. I can say, okay, well, that grade was based on these five whatever, you know, worksheets or, you know, essays or whatever the portfolio would be. I mean, you don't have to necessarily bring all that in, but you could, um, you would know what it was based on. 
and you would know, um, you would have a reason, you would have a rationale right. for how you came to that number 96. Um, and I think you're just, de- like you said, again, if you're demonstrating mastery, then you're demonstrating where your student is now. You're not, you're not fibbing, you're not stretching, you're just talking about where you are now. Right. Now, I, grades are tricky. I, I thought that was such a good question. I'm so glad someone asked it because it is something that I think, you know, as homeschoolers, we have to think about. Right. Unfortunately, but only when forced. Yes, only, only when, when absolutely necessary. <laughs> um, is there anything else about grades that we've missed that we should have touched on in our naughty, twisty conversation? I don't know. I feel like I'm just totally... <laughs> I'm just going off on my own thing. Don't mind me. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, life has definitely been crazy lately. <laughs> yes. It's been a little, it's been a little crazy. Um, I don't think so, but I would say if, if anybody else has further questions or if we, you know, if you want to talk about it some more, please send in, you know, more questions or specifics or whatever. Yes. You can reach us anytime podcast at homeschoollifemag.com. Yeah. And we will totally steal reader questions to the magazine. Yes. Apparently we can do that. Well, so. Apparently we can do synergy. Synergy, <laughs> my friend. So, um, yeah, definitely. Because we love getting questions. It's our favorite. Yeah. We cannot overstate how much we like that. <laughs> Speaking of things that we cannot overstate how much we like, Suzanne has been trying to get me for like a year to watch Supergirl. And it's finally on Netflix. And as always, Suzanne is totally right. I'm obsessed with this show. I love it. It's so charming and fun and feminist and just superhero it is, delight. Isn't it? It's just really, really, it's a really sweet show. I love it. And Callista Flockhart um, plays Cat Grant, the sort of media mogul character from the Superman stories. Um, Callista Flockhart, who you may remember as a if you're like me, as Allie McBeal, she'll always be Allie McBeal to me too. Yep, yep. Um, she is wonderful as Cat Grant. She is complicated and yep. like a strong woman who sacrificed things and and not sacrificed other things. And I, I she's a great character. She's I mean, sort I of think, a mentory. Yeah, I I think we've seen like um, we've seen variations on that kind of devil wears Prada evil evil uh, woman executive for a while now, but I don't know that we've ever seen anyone quite like this character who has some of those, some of those evil, obnoxious, you know, my coffee doesn't have two sugars, you know, whatever kind of, kind of traits, but she's a three, I mean, she's a very three-dimensional character who, you know, who feels like a real person. Right. She has surprising depths of compassion mm -hmm. and vulnerability. Yeah, so she's a lot. I'm so glad that she is because there was there was some concern that she might not follow the show to CW because the show is moving to the CW network. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So it was on CBS. I, I know. See, okay, fangirl. I don't watch anything until it's on Netflix. I know. know I'm a fangirl over here. Okay, so here's what it was. I will explain it all to you, Amy. So explain. the CW has Arrow, and then right. The Flash was a spinoff of that. And then they have the new spinoff, Legends of Tomorrow, which has got a whole bunch of superheroes in it. And then on CBS, they had, so on a real network, <laughs> you can tell I'm old, right? Because I still believe that there are real networks. On a real network, they had Supergirl, 
And um, but and it did okay, but it didn't do great enough, I guess. So what they decided to do is they since CW is owned by CBS, CBS is moving it to the CW. And they're promoting it all summer um, with some really cute ads showing all of, so now all the superheroes. So like Monday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, every night they have a superhero show on, a DC superhero show. Wow, that's right. so cute. Isn't it cute? So there is talk that um, there, there was, I haven't seen it yet. You know, after I told Amy that she had to watch Supergirl, I've only watched like a handful of episodes because our whole family likes it. So we have to get everybody together to watch an episode, which is, difficult um and we're going to have to do some binge watching because it starts back in october but um there is a crossover episode with flash coming to supergirl's world because they're not in the same world they're both in dc (laughs) the dc world of comics but they're in alternate universes and so the flash had had made a trip over to supergirl but they're saying there's going to be more crossovers between all the superhero shows. That's so fun. I mean, the superhero crossover episodes of Flash and Arrow have been really cute. I love, I love Flash. Well, I mean, I know I say this all the time to Suzanne, but I'll say it here too. I am so sick of broody, depressed, miserable superheroes. I mean, give me a superhero who's like, wow, sometimes being a superhero is really hard. But did I mention that I can run faster than anyone on the planet and it's kind of awesome? (laughs) Well, and they, you know what they like? They're not conflicted about doing good things in the world. Right. They enjoy saving the day. This is never an issue for Supergirl. This is never an issue of, you know, gee, am I going to do more harm than good? Gee, is it my job? I mean, no, she just wants to do good in the world and help people. And she doesn't angst about it. It's pretty clear for her and for the Flash. And I'm like... Yeah, I love... There's like a little... There are like all these little scenes in Supergirl where she'll jump down like to someone who's like being mean to another girl. And she's like, hey, that's kind of uncool. It's it's really charming. She's like a good person doing good stuff. There was a really sweet promo picture that came out before the show aired with Supergirl walking amidst a bunch of Girl Scouts. Did you see that picture? No, but I love it. You should look it up on the web. I mean, they're all, you know, half her height in their little uniform. And it just looked like, anyway, it's charming and it's feminist and it's going to be, there is talk also, and I can't remember if this is wishful talk or if I actually heard that it might happen. (laughs) Of a musical episode crossover. Well, because, I mean, that could work because the guy who plays The Flash and the mm-hmm. girl who plays Supergirl were both on Glee. And also on The Flash is The Flash's adopted father, Jesse Martin, who got his start in Rent. Thank you very much. Can so, we just pause for a moment to appreciate Jesse Martin, one of the great unsung <laughs> television he is, actors? He's he is amazing. So awesome. And he is so awesome in this role, which um I want I, Jesse Martin to come be my dad. I know. I mean, one thing about the flash setup, I I mean he's got like all the father figures. He has like, I don't know what, a dozen now father figures in his yeah. life at the moment. Um and Jesse Martin is one of them. The best and so one. he does, he has to do, Jesse Martin has to do a lot of emoting and, a, and he's just so good at it. Like if it wasn't him, it might not work as well, but you just see the emotional, it's very touching. I love him. I'm sorry. Is, I know that has nothing to do with Supergirl, but he's wonderful. He is awesome. There is a video out there somewhere that you should go, maybe I sent it to you. It's Jesse Martin and it's, ah, shoot, I don't think it's Grant Gustin. I don't think it's The Flash. I think it's um, Cisco. And 
I think it's uh, the other character, the police, uh, the one of the other characters from the first season, and the three of them, all from Flash, but they're sitting around singing the Firefly theme song. I think I saw. I think you did send me this, which I love because anything that ties into Joss Whedon has my heart. That's right. So I was like, yeah, yeah. See, they can sing. Where are we getting our musical musical episode? Come on, come on. So um, oh, that would be good. well a musical crossover episode. That would be fantastic. Like right. four hours long. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Bring in everybody. There's, there's, yeah, because um, there's some great people on all the shows. So anyway, so, well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I think I'm in the mood for totally upbeat, positive. I need my television. Yes. To be upbeat, positive. People are good. People want to help each other. I just need that kind of message in my life right now. Me too, Suzanne. So if you are looking, I mean, I can highly recommend uh, Supergirl and flash they'll both be starting back up in october and their first seasons the first seasons of both of them i believe are they're both on netflix now so i think that's right no i, excuse. Think, I know supergirl, supergirl is. definitely is but i'm pretty sure yeah. the flash is too i think he is too so that so is what else is, is going on with you well speaking of television because you know I, <laughs> <laughs> I watch a lot of television so one of my favorite all my other all favorite all-time shows is uh, Parks and Recreation, uh-huh. which I got you to start watching. Yes, Although which did... is delightful. It is It is delightful. You didn't follow my instructions, which is don't start until second season, maybe halfway through. You okay, but I can't. St- I mean, I, know, I but... appreciate that that is probably good advice, but you know that I can't jump ahead. It's like skipping the first three chapters of a book. I know, but but really, if you haven't watched Parks and Rec, start it, start it when... Um, uh, when Rob Lowe joins, joins the cast, start it then, because that's when it was really starting to gel. And every moment after that is be- a thing of beauty. Anyway, one of the characters, no, one of the characters, one of the, the creators of Parks and Rec is Michael Shore. And he went on to do Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is a police show, which I also really enjoy, which just started back. But he's got a new show out called The Good Place. Have you heard about this at all? I haven't. No, tell me. See, you are streaming only. All right. So The Good Place. (laughs) I am streaming only. So it stars Kristen Bell from um, Veronica Mars. Who I love. Yeah. And and she's charming and delightful. And she, so the story is she's dead. She's died. And she wakes up and she's in an office uh, talking to Ted Danson. And he tells her that she's died and this is the afterlife. And she asks him, well, am I in the good place or am I in the bad place? And he says, "Um, you're in the good place. And so what it turns out, you learn about in the first couple episodes, you learn about this vision of the afterlife. And it it turns out they're like, well, did the religions get it right? Like, yeah, they each got about 5% right. Um, but they have this orientation that they show you. And uh, it turns out that all through your life, every action you did had a positive or negative point score based on um, what you were, you know, based on its effect on the, you know, rescue a kitten plus 20, you know, cut somebody in the grocery line minus 30, whatever. And then based on your point score, those with the very, they, they make a point. It's a very, very small percentage, the very, very little tippy top. They, they get ended up, they end up in the good place, which uh, is divided into neighborhoods, um, created neighborhoods where every blade of grass has been, has been created to make this a good, anyway, 
Uh, <laughs> so the the twist. So anyway, so they have the orientation, and it's really cute. Like if they, they're explaining this points process, and if you you know you freeze on that frame, you can. They must have had a great day in the writers' room about coming up with bad points and good points. I mean, stuff like, you know, became a vegan, you get good points. Never discussed veganism unprompted, you get double good points, right? <laughs> and there's the negative stuff. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the negative stuff. Uh, told a woman to smile, that's a negative. Um, you know, genocide, that's also a negative. Anyway, it's a really, it's just really fun. Ted Danson is great. But the, the tw- and, and the another good thing about The Good Place is wherever you are, your soulmate is there. And you get to meet your soulmate. And I liked that in when they were showing soulmates, it's a very progressive show, right? I was looking behind and they're not all heterosexual couples. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. So um, but the twist is that as it turns out, Kirsten Bell's character is terrible. She never they've got they've got her confused with somebody else. Her life, you know, the Ted Dance is like, oh, you help get innocent people off death row. And then you went to Ukraine with your missions. And she's like, I didn't do any of those things. She was a terrible, horrible human being. She doesn't belong there. And because she doesn't belong there, weird things are starting to happen in the good place. Like it's starting to crumble around her a little bit. So she's trying desperately to, uh, to learn how to be good with the help of her soulmate, who she's sworn to secrecy, who just turns out to have been a professor of ethics. Um, so <laughs> wow, I know I'm going on and on about the setup. There's a, it's, it's a big complicated setup, but it's not, when you watch it, it's not that complicated. Right. So it's kind of this mystery setup, right? So it's like, how did she get to the good place and what's going to happen? You know, does that mean that somebody who should be there is in the bad place? And, and is this, the system clearly seems to be a little bit corrupt anyway and then the guy who plays her soulmate is just very charming. And so he's got her stacked up with textbooks. And um, apparently Michael Shore, the creator, went and actually talked to, like, professors of ethics and <laughs> philosophy and, like, had this whole reading list. And he says, I didn't understand. I understood less than half of it. <laughs> maybe, maybe a fifth I got. But, you know, so there's this kind of, along with this very silly kind of premise, there's, there's like, this underlying thought process going on anyway i'm really excited about it how many episodes in is it it's only three it just started this week oh wow so it's only three episodes in. they they showed two back to back on monday and then they showed one on thursday that um is going to be the regular the regularly scheduled time and then they re-showed the so they're going to re-show you know they they have sometimes they show the pilot a couple times and you might be able to get it on hulu i'll check but um but it really it looks i'm 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 very cautiously excited and optimistic because uh and he says that he he learned from lost and they have the whole season plotted out (laughs) which is good because it is there is a mystery i mean there is a definitely this mystery element to it it's not just watch this bad person try to be good right which is also entertaining because she really is terrible i mean only kirsten bell could bring it off right because you wouldn't like her Otherwise, but she's so charming as an actress. Right. You love Kristen Bell, right. whatever she she's just, She just twinkles her eyes at you and you're like, okay, sure, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to check that out. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just all excited that there's new television. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So, so can I tell you something that's kind of shallow and embarrassing, but also really sort of thrilling? 
Yes. So I will, I will backstory. I will say, like, I have really, really, really straight hair. Like, the kind of hair where you would, like, in the 1980s, wake up and curl your hair and spray it with hairspray and cross your fingers and pull out the curling iron and watch the curl just slide right out. Oh, yes. No, I can totally. So in the (laughs) 70s, my hair is straight and fine, and my mom had curly hair, and she didn't know what to do. I spent so many hours at, like, the age of five, like, under, under one of those hair drying things so there was a tube <laughs> there was like a like a like a net like a like a like a net that you wore over your hair right right and then the tube blew hot air in from the machine and my hair was hours hours whenever we were going to get a family picture or go out for a special thing i would spend hours under that and it would last long enough for my mom to snap one picture and then by the time we got in the car it was, it was flat, straight. Yeah. So, so you can appreciate the struggle. I mean, I have basically, I, I had given up on ever having a bend in my hair. The struggle is real. Uh, yeah. I mean, I had gotten to the point where, like, when I wanted my hair to have a little texture, I would just not brush it for a week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, well, is it a snarl or a wave? <laughs> you decide. Tips from the experts. <laughs> so, so, okay. So, very straight hair. And I got, Suzanne, this curling iron. It, it has the stupidest name of anything ever. It's called the Beach Waver. Uh-huh. But, oh, my God. It makes my hair wavy, not curly, not like like fat sausage curls, but like like wavy, like, oh, hi, look at me. I have wavy hair. It makes my hair wavy and it lasts for days. I I waved my hair for my class on Thursday and it's still wavy this morning, Saturday morning. I find this hard to believe. It's so true. And it's so exciting. I like go to the mirror and I'm like, I have wavy hair. See, I have got to try. I mean, I just, I don't even know if I want wavy hair, but I have, <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's, that's a miracle. That it could is... look terrible. I don't even know how it looks because I'm so excited about it. I'm like, my hair has a weight, like my shadow, when I see my shadow. Oh, it, that is amazing. It has wavy hair. That is, that is, that is a star. I don't, technology today. It's crazy. I realize this is so shallow and superficial, but well, life has is... been complicated lately. And this has been like sort of a shining point of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a major moment for humankind. Right? If what you say is true, which I don't know. I haven't seen anything about the news about it, so it's I don't know. It's so true. It's very, very, very exciting. <laughs> Brave have, new world. <laughs> I will have to give that a try. That sounds that sounds pretty awesome. We will have a hair day. <laughs> I was a little embarrassed to bring it up. And then I was like, but no, this is possibly the greatest thing that's ever happened to my hair. That is pretty amazing. I think you can just put a gold star on that for the week and ignore everything else. Right. That's, I think that might be what I do. I think that that might be what I do. Yeah. That sounds awesome. So very exciting little piece of my life. And you have (laughs) uh, sartorial choices going on at home too, right? Uh, well, we had big excitement today because uh, my my 15-year-old, my older daughter, um, the, the girl, the da- my daughters were the only ones in the family who don't have glasses. You know, uh, I got glasses when I was probably seven. Um, my husband got them a year or two, uh, you know, when he was maybe eight or nine, something like that. And then um, both my parents wear glasses and... 
my oldest son got glasses and my youngest son got glasses. And we were thinking, oh, maybe the girls got some magical eye genes at some point. But um, she came home from high school saying, you know, I can't read the board and everybody else can. So today she got her first pair of glasses. And uh, I was, it felt like this very strange mother-daughter bonding moment because I was like strangely touched by it because it's such a part of my identity yeah. to be the girl who wears glasses and cannot see anything without them um, that it was like, oh, you have your glasses now. So it, <laughs> that's, the, that's the big excitement over here. Oh, I'm sure I she's thrilled that. that I'm talking about it on the back podcast. <laughs> did did she like them? Was she excited to get them, or was yeah, she kind of like? Yeah, I think she was. Re- well, she's excited to be able to see, and um, she was laughing because the the uh, optometrist was saying, "Well, you don't have to wear them all the time, but you want to wear them, you know, in school and when you're watching television, and if you're at the movies, or maybe you know if you're reading because you have astigmatism, so they'll help with the reading and the computer work and all this kind of stuff." Karen was, "Is there so really wear them all the time, right? <laughs> Just wear them all." The time. <laughs> but I did tell her that she should enjoy not wearing them if she didn't have to, because probably there will come to a point, like I am, where um, I I can't walk three steps, you know. I can't. Oh, see me it too. All I used to be able glasses. to read without my glasses, like no problem. And now I'm like, oh, can't see book too far. Yeah, yeah it's a problem. It's a problem. But um, so yeah. So there's only my my younger daughter is the only one in the family who is glasses free. So she can see her doom approaching. She can see her. <laughs> <laughs> Poor girl. But I actually think that I was asking my daughter. I said, our because I kind of thought, um. You know, growing up, I was like, oh, why don't you get contacts? And I did have them for some time in college, and they were too much of a hassle. Because um, men don't make passes at girls who wear glasses, exactly. as Dorothy Barker famously said. And I thought, I thought between uh, surgery and contacts that we would be raising a whole generation of people who refuse to wear glasses. But I asked her about her friends at school. I mean, I think kids still wear glasses now, and it's more of a fashion statement. Like, it's not. Yeah, people even wear fake glasses right like it's not something that people are going super like it was a really big deal when I was growing up you did not want to wear them and or you know people I was fine because I couldn't see otherwise I like seeing (laughs) but um but I think that nowadays it's actually less of a deal and that people are fine with wearing glasses as part of their fashion statement so um so that's nice that's positive. It is great to see all this nerdiness happening. You know, like the world <laughs> has grown to appreciate nerdiness. Yes. More nerdiness all the time. I mean, I feel, Suzanne, um, that talking about nerdiness is the perfect lead in to talking about where you are in library chicken lately. <laughs> Since this uh, this episode, we're just going to chat a little bit about books. We don't have a specific book that we're going to talk about. Yeah, we decided we maybe wouldn't have an assigned book this time around, give ourselves a little bit of a break, which is good because my library chicken is getting kind of, well, okay, so here's the deal. I'm still playing the same, I'm like three months, right? Because library chicken games go on for about three months because that's about how long I can keep a book out from the library if it doesn't have any other holds on it and it's not a new book because I check it out for a month at a time and you can renew it twice. Right. So I've been playing one long (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, it really does consume a lot of my my waking life trying to figure this out. It's um, but I have been whittling it down. Now I have taken maybe half a dozen books back over the past two weeks to the library unread, 
or even I took one book back that I was halfway through and I liked it, but it was um, it was an apocalyptic story and it was due back and I just wasn't I just wasn't in the mood to to power through it. So I have taken some books back, but in general, I mean, I'm still playing. I'm still I'm still I haven't just given up and taken everything back. But the goal is to whittle it down to get everything off the holds list. And I had like only 20 books out total, um, which is a really small number for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had books on hold. So I still put some books on hold, but I'm only putting books on hold if they're part of a series and I'm reading the whole series. So okay. I'm not starting any new series. I'm not going, oh, I like that author. I'll read some more. Right. I'm just I'm trying to get down to zero and then read some of the books in my house which I have been collecting. So I have a couple years worth of books that I've bought and not actually read. And my daughter gets annoyed because every time I recommend a book to her, she tries to read it. And I have a couple years of recommendations from her that I, they're on my list. We even have them <laughs> in the house. But um, so that's the goal. And then I went to the library on Friday and I always going to pick, I had two books on hold in a mystery series that I'm reading. And I was just going to pick those up and leave. But I kind of wandered. A little bit. So I came home with six books, which is not in the plan. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, okay, I just am, I, I, I don't think that anybody else could ever be interested in this, but it really is like a big deal in my life of how many books I have out from the library and how, so I'm working on whittling it down. I'm really trying. I just fail a lot. Well, I think that, that it can be hard to do that because I mean, people read such different ways. Like I know, I know people who are reading a book and they start the book and that's the only book they're reading and they read it till they're done. And that's not how I read at all. Right. Right. I don't either. Actually, I used to. I used to, when I was younger, I was very much a purist. Um, I, I read one book at a time and I always finished it. I always, I mean, like I can remember maybe one book that I didn't finish and uh, like up until my mid twenties, I read every single, and I finished everything. And now I have, okay, so at the moment I've got one, two, three, four, four books going. Um, I usually have a nonfiction book going. Um, my nonfiction book at the moment is, is really entertaining. It's called The Almost Nearly Perfect People <laughs> Behind the Myth of the Scandinavian Utopia. Oh. And it's by an English journalist who has a Danish wife. And um, he's talking about Denmark and the other parts of Scandinavia. Who Denmark consistently rates high on the happiness. So he's trying to figure out why. Well, right, because, I mean, I recently pulled out from the library a book called uh, The Year of Living Danishly. That's <laughs> so on my list. Oh, look at that. We've got the, you know, we've got. So anyway, but well, once you finish that, I can recommend the almost, I'm only a few chapters in, but I can recommend so far the almost nearly perfect people. Um, it's very entertaining. So that's my nonfiction. So I'll have a nonfiction going and then I'll have a fiction, but I usually have multiple fictions, but they're, they're different genres. Right. So it's okay. Like I have a lit fic and then maybe a mystery or a science fic. Well, at the moment, my, my, I guess just straight up fiction is called A Finn and Lady by Kathleen Shine. Um, and I've just started it. It's about a brother and sister um, in like the 1960s. And I picked it up because I just read her book called The Three Wise Men's of Westport, which is a retelling 
of Sense and Sensibility, but it's a, it's, um, yeah, that's right. It's a retelling of Sense and Sensibility. I also read it, recently read a retelling of Jane Eyre. So I was getting, <laughs> I was like, wait, I'm on the right book. I'm on the right book. And I really liked it. It's not, it's not a hugely, I mean, like you don't have to be a fan of Sense and Sensibility to like enjoy the Three Wisemans. Um, but if you do, there's some extra little, uh, some extra little bonuses in there. So anyway, so that's my fiction. And then I have a, a YA book going. I have a kid's book going, um, which is um, Danny Champion of the World by Roald Dahl, because I've discovered that Roald Dahl is one of those authors that I thought I had read, but I don't think I read him growing up. I mean, I think I read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and then I think I saw a lot of movies. Right. Because you I read, read Matilda, of course. Well, I just read Matilda the other day, and I was like, I don't think I've read this before. I'd seen the movie. Um, but it was so charming and so delightful, and he consistently shows up on the lists of when I read memoirs by reading people or parenting. Pe- you know, he shows up with one of those, well, I had to read all of the Roald Dolls to my child, you know. Um, so I'm working my way through his, his catalog. Because I'm I'm not sure how much of his him I'm read, so that's a lot of fun, and that's my also my bathroom book, right? Because you've got to have well, really my bathtub book. Because um, no, I appreciate the bath. I think one always has to have a bathtub book going, right? And it can't be a can't be a giant hardback, right? And it can't be anything on my Kindle, and it usually needs to be so. This is it's so the paperback. That's my that's my bathtub book, and then I have a book going on my Kindle. Um, cause my Kindle goes in my purse with me everywhere. So, uh, I always have some reading material. How about you? Do you have, so you have, you also have a bunch of books going at the same time. Well, I always justify it by saying I was an English major. So I always had at least, I had, I had to be reading at least four different books for different You can justify classes. your entire life, right? You know, oh, but I was an English major. Right. And the people go, oh, I understand. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I read books like sort of locationally so so i have a bathtub book my bathtub book at the moment is um it's often a reread and it is right now it's mansfield park which i love uh-huh um because oh, you I, love mansfield park oh we have to have a conversation about this sometime i do i love mansfield park <sighs> but it's so problematic well it is problematic but in interesting ways i mean it's got great scenes it's got my one of my favorite austin scenes of or, or uh set pieces of all time is the play the scandalous play right. that they're going to do. I love everything about that. But, oh, I know. Um, and the buildup to it is yeah, just great. Yeah. Okay. So that's a whole other conversation. But yes. this, is, this is an interesting character point. Okay. No, so that's, this, is, this is a great bathtub book, Mansfield Park. Uh-huh. Delightful. Um, so I'm reading that. And that's my, that's my bathroom book right now. Um, I usually try to read a couple of have usually have a couple of nonfiction books kind of going downstairs where I'll pick them up, you know, and read for an hour or two here or there when I'm kind of between things. So right now I'm reading um, Leading the Blind by Alan Stilto. It's, it's actually really interesting. It's about how people in the late 18 and early 1900s traveled on the basis of travel guides and like what they knew and didn't what travel guides did and didn't tell people. Oh, that sounds cool. It's actually really interesting. Okay. So I'm reading that, and I'm also reading a biography of President Buchanan titled Worst President Ever, which is pretty entertaining. <laughs> I Well, I mean, Jefferson was... No, no. <laughs> we all know well, my feelings about Jefferson. We universally hate Jefferson at the Homeschool Life podcast. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So, and then I, I have a couple of books going on my Kindle too. Usually, one that I'm reading for the magazine. I'm reading Trenton Lee Stewart's new book, The Secret Keepers. Okay. And I'm also reading. I picked up. I've read it before, but I picked it up when it was on sale. So, of course, I had to immediately start reading it again. Blackout by Connie Willis. Oh yeah, yeah. Those are some good. You know, her new book is what just out or coming out in a week or two. I was. I haven't gotten it yet, but I know it's it's on my radar to get. Yeah. Yes, I probably won't. Well, I wait for things to come into the library or people to loan them to me. But um, it depends on how desperately I want to read it and how much free time I have. That's, right. That's well, I the, since I'm in the middle of library chicken, I can't right. really you don't want to complicate things. Ordering the new Connie Will- Crosstalk for anybody else who's interested. That's what it's called. Um, I'm so excited about it, too, because it looks like it's going to be one of her funny ones and not one of her, oh, I'm incredibly depressed now ones. Right. Um. The doomsday book. <laughs> so I'm, anyway, I'm really excited about that. Ah, uh, well, that's good. So, 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 is it tough for you to manage? I mean, people ask me, is it tough to manage all these different books? And I actually think I have a harder time concentrating on one book at a time. My attention span is shot. I remember a time when I was, you know, I could spend hours just involved in one book and I could spend hours now reading but I'll read something for 15 minutes and then I'll like have a thought and then I'll have to put that book down and die and I'll pick up the other book you know so I, I cycle through them well I feel like books are sort of like food and like maybe one book is kind of like kale salad and one book mm-hmm. is like a cheeseburger and I want to eat both those things like I don't right. want to eat kale salad for a week and nothing else I mean some weeks maybe but <laughs> <laughs> but well, I mean, no, that's general, how I get through. Yeah, that's how I, I get want through. Variety, like I, right. I'm, I need to be stimulated, and like books affect you differently. And I don't, I, I don't feel like one book would satisfy me. It would just be like eating a kale salad every single day. We are just clearly very complex and <laughs> deep characters who need this. Yes, we are not fickle. <laughs> it's not at all People that I have an attention, attention span, span of ten minutes now. <laughs> Which I don't think is screen related. I know that that's the whole, you know, I'm MTV generation, Generation X. Thank you very much. I don't think the screens broke me. I think it's um, getting Parenthood? older and having four kids and homeschooling. And, and just I can't settle my brain enough to to concentrate as much as I used to be able to. It's a real struggle. Yeah. And well, also and having think- the internet there. I just read a book, um, Danubia by uh, Simon Winder, I think his last name is. And it's a, it's a very entertaining history of Habsburg Europe. Oh. And um, he's, and it's, it's like a very personal history. It's like his, you know, his opinion of things and he traveled all over these places. So he's talking about his personal impressions. But he doesn't, okay, most of, like 90% of the history, he was just kind of casually referencing I had no idea. I mean, I have a vague idea of Habsburg, you know, and the the, the Holy Roman Empire and da da da, da. but um, I don't know who these people are. So I had to stop every five minutes and go Wikipedia, you know, <laughs> the the family tree. Okay, what what are which which Ferdinand are we on now? Because I don't. There's a bunch of them, and or he'd talk about oh, there's this fabulous portrait of. Um, you know, emperor so-and-so. So then I have to Google that and I have to look at it because there's no pictures in the book. <laughs> so every five minutes I was stopping this. I spent like a whole afternoon on the Habsburg chin, which I didn't know was a thing. 
<laughs> but it's a thing. <laughs> and it's something you can spend a whole afternoon on. Wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I just feel like there are so many books, and I think it would get depressing to think about your to-read list if you weren't reading multiple books at once. I feel like yeah. you would just start to feel stressed out. But then you would. But then I would get through the book faster, right? I know, but you could only cross off one at a time. It is kind of satisfying to be able to cross off. So yeah, so I, I I've talked about this in the column in the the magazine column, but my my reading journal life is fairly complicated because I do. I do keep track. It makes me feel like I'm accomplishing something. As I've said before, like when I have friends who knit, like you, <laughs> and, you know, when they're done with their hobby, they have something to show for it. And when I'm done with my hobby, because I don't have any hobbies other than reading, I, I just have a lot of facts that are not interesting to anybody but me. They're pretty interesting. <laughs> to bring into conversation. Oh, speaking of interesting, did you know that the Bluetooth technology was named for the 10th century Viking king, Harold Bluetooth? Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Why was it named for him? Well, it was, cre I mean, Bluetooth, the, the tech was developed in Scandinavia. And I'm in love with this. Apparently a big Viking guy. And I told my son this at tech and he was like, duh, didn't you know that, the, that a rune is like the symbol for Bluetooth? And I'm like, I didn't know when somebody clearly should have told me because that was Man, Vikings were doing everything first. <laughs> Even their wireless access was They was had a better. rune for wireless. They had a rune for wireless. They were ahead of the, that herald when he wasn't killing people. Um, but anyway, so, so in order to feel like I'm accomplishing something, I keep um, a reading journal. So I write down every book that I read and I give like a sometimes short, sometimes long little review of it enough and so you I rate it, it with stars I and I rate that. it I'm on volume eight now I'm about to go to volume nine of my reading journal which I started maybe 2010 around there maybe and then I also keep track of it I log them on library thing which is similar to like goodreads and stuff I just happened to get into the library thing version of it and I don't want to switch catalogs now because all my stuff is there um and that way, like I could go over to library thing right now and search on, I can tell you how many books I've read in 2016 and I have my stats. Like I read about, it turns out I read about 50, 50 men and women authors. Um, I read a higher percentage of living authors than dead authors, which kind of surprised me because I am big into like the Victorians and stuff. But I guess I just, I mean, I guess just in sheer numbers. Um, yeah, and I can be really obnoxious and, and break things down. You know, I read about 75% fiction and 25% nonfiction. Um, but that's a lot of fun. I can spend hours also playing on library thing. <laughs> well, it's really interesting because it can tell you, like, authors you read from other countries and yeah. award winners that you won. And you can discover that you've been reading all these award winners for prizes that you never even heard of. And you're like, oh, my gosh, now I want to go read all the books that won this yes. prize. I've discovered some really neat. Uh, the Alex Awards is one of my favorite. That's uh, an ALA award. I believe the the wording is something like um, it's given to an, you know, an, a book marketed for adults, but that is really popular for young adults also there's something about the young adult and adult crossover um but that's a really good i was like oh i've read a whole bunch of these and they were all good so now i look for those yeah I, th I think i like your book tracking i think it's great <laughs> and i have we have a new book for you to track now because i think for our next episode we're gonna read lab girl which i am so excited about because in a remarkable and lovely little 
serendipitous thing from the universe. That's one of the books I checked out on Friday from the library. <laughs> so we're contributing to good things in Suzanne's library chicken game. You should read it along That's with right. us and you so will be helping Suzanne win was, at library chicken. It was not, it was guilt-free as it turns out. And it's a two-week book. So I just grabbed it off the shelf because I've heard so much about it. And I, I knew it was going to be tough to get a hold of. And so. Lab Girl is actually a memoir, which I don't usually, I'm not usually a huge memoir fan, by a um, by a, a scientist. I think she's a, what, a geochemist and a geobiologist. Hope I don't even Jaren. know. I know that there's like plants involved. <laughs> that's, that's what I know. I think she's a geochemist and geobiologist. Okay. But, um, but, but it should be fun and interesting. I mean, women in science, yay. I know. I'm so, anyway, so I just feel good because you've justified all those extra books. Yay. See, I, I helped with the six books. Accidentally checked out. From that accidentally fell into my bag. One sixth of those books was completely necessary for the rest <laughs> of your life. <laughs> I'm going to finish this game of Library Chicken. If That's, it kills I mean, you. <laughs> updates to follow, people. Cause Stay tuned for stay the next tuned. thrilling installment. Uh, which should be in about two weeks. Yes. Because I guess... I guess. Um, is there anything else that we didn't touch on? Oh, I'm sure there's <laughs> lots of things we didn't touch on. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Maybe we should quit while we're ahead, though, or behind <laughs> in the middle or something. So, OK, so we're so we're wrapping up this slightly belated, slightly convoluted episode of the podcast with Suzanne and Amy brought to you by Homeschool Life magazine. <laughs> As always, you can reach us anytime at podcast at homeschoollifemag.com. And your emails make us so, so, so happy. So please send them. Um, we'll be back in two weeks in a fortnight with more conversation about the places where home, school, and life intersect. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.